How many of you are just say, be honest and say, man, I am over the rain? This is like the wettest, like, it's not the whitest Christmas, it's the wettest Christmas, man. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. I am over the rain officially, man. Hey, it's funny during the holidays to watch how your kids change the older they get. We have children in our home from 7 to 17. Actually, in our home right now, we have children in our home from 3 to 17. And of our children, only the 7-year-old, man, I hate this. If you brought your kids into the service today, I'm sorry. That's why we have a kids area. So if I ruin something for you, you've got about 10 seconds to get them out of here for what I'm about to ruin, okay? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. In our home, only one of our children, our seven-year-old, still believes in Santa Claus. And I mean, he believes in Santa Claus. He is the one that circled everything. Now, when I'm old school, so some of you don't even remember this, but I'm old school in the 40-year-old range where you couldn't wait to get the Toys R Us catalog. You know what I mean? Sears? So you could tell someone's age by that. The Sears catalog, you know. Michelle could order grain for the horses and toys all in the Sears catalog, you know. And uh, me, I was Toys R Us. Now it's the Target catalog. And, uh, man, we couldn't wait to get the Target catalog. I believe in a few years it'll be, won't be any catalog at all. Our kids at 7 will get an Amazon email. And they'll just go in there and highlight everything they want. But, man, Luke is into it, you know. Luke is the one that, when he found out that he was at his biological mom's house this Christmas, he asked, hey, does that mean Santa still comes to y'all's house too? And we finally wised up and was like, no. Santa comes to whatever house you wake up. See, we got out cheap this year, you know, but he wants to know everything. He was tore up on, you know, uh, in our house we have multiple fireplaces. Which fireplace does Santa come down and, you know... I mean, he is all in for Christmas. Now, he digs the elves and gets tore up about what the elves do, and whoever invented that should be hung up like a guy. I hate that human being, you know what I mean? And on the one hand, I love watching his excitement. And I want him to enjoy being a kid. And it's almost magical to get to watch it through a kid's eyes. But on the other hand... I realize that he doesn't realize the true meaning of Christmas yet. He's at that age where he still thinks Christmas is about receiving. Now, this is my fifth Christmas with Emily in my life, and she's 11. And I've been in her life since she was about seven. 11, seven. And my first Christmas with her, she was like Luke is now. She believed. You know, and she was all in for Christmas. When Christine and I first got together, um, I didn't have a huge house, but I had a very odd house that it went up instead of out. And so when you looked at our house, it looked bigger than it was. It was a, it was a cluster home, if you know what I mean, like you could reach out and touch the neighbor's house. I mean, but it, was, it went up. And on the upstairs, there was this big porch that went out that looked out all over. And Emily used to tell her friends that she lived in a castle. And um, Emily was always mesmerizing. At that time in my life, Christine had a normal job, and so Emily would ride around with me after school a lot. And I was flipping a lot of stuff at that time. I'd buy stuff, and I'd sell it and flip it. And so Emily went and told her biological dad, 
every time Gary goes to racetrack, people give him money. You know, like she just thought I went to racetrack and people would give me money for stuff. And I'm sure her dad thought I was dealing drugs or something. And it was, it was amazing. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, but it came Christmas time and she would tell us all the expensive things that she wanted. Would she not? I mean, everything she wanted was two and $300. And then the list of her dad would be like $10 things. You know, I just, a candy bar, Dad. I'd be like, man. You know, she thought Christmas was all about receiving. But roles have changed. She no longer believes in Santa. I think I've shared this story with you before. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before that Emily discovered everything. She came to us and she asked. And, we're, and Santa's a weird thing, man. Like, you know, you don't want to lie to your kids. We don't, we don't want to lie to the kids. You know, and, I, and I'm kind of weird about it because I don't want to tell them their whole life, Santa's real, Santa's real, he's not real, and them think the same thing about God. So, you know, anytime our kids ask, we haven't just always said, you know, it's just a fun game mommy and daddy play and blah, 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 blah. Luckily, Luke hasn't asked yet. But Emily came to us and she asked and she wanted to know, is Santa real? And we broke the news to her. Hey, me and my, all my wisdom, Santa's not real. She accepts that Santa's not real. And I tried to explain. I said, you know, it's kind of like your elves, you know. They're just a fun game we play. Now, she had just come to me realizing Santa was not real. And I said, you know, it's kind of like the elves. She, My elves aren't real either. Like, she was cool with Santa. She couldn't deal with it. And I was like, man, we just crushed all of her dreams in one year. But things have changed for Emily now. Emily now realizes that Christmas is no longer about getting. Excuse me. Yeah, about getting. It's about giving. And she's a machine when it comes to giving. Like she'll put people to shame when it comes to giving. Like she's been conniving with someone else in our church through text messages, created this whole thing that she wants to do for Christine, has worked it out, has worked how she's going to get this person the money and what it's going to say. And she's so excited about this gift because she realizes the holiday season is no longer about getting, it's about giving. And as we approach Christmas in two days, I just thought we'd take a little bit of time out. This is not going to be the deepest message I've ever taught. It's not going to be the most theologically blow-your-mind message I've ever taught. But sometimes you just need some reminders on what's important. Sometimes you just need some reminders on why we do what we do, and how we should go about doing what we do. And it's so easy during the Christmas season or the holiday season to get so caught up in everything and anything that we forget the entire season, starting at Thanksgiving, going all the way from New Year's, is all about giving thanks and being refocused on the greatest gift of all, what Christ did for us. We were born into sin, God knew that imperfection doesn't get to go to a perfect place. And so somebody had to come along and pay the price for our sins. And God sends his only son to live on this earth 33 years and to give his life where we can have eternal life. And that's the reason for the season. But we forget about that, man. We do. We get so caught up in Santa and lights and gifts. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I can't help but wonder why the reason we get more focused on that is that not why we get more stressed 
and more chaos and more looking towards hating the season. Because we've got away from the true meaning of the season. I want us to focus just for a little bit today on Jesus and how we go about in our own lives reminding that every day is about Jesus, not just the Christmas season and the Easter season. I'm so excited about tomorrow night because I get to see so many people I haven't seen since Easter. It's going to be incredible, you know. But we got to get back to being focused on the season. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, those are the wise men, and, it, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. That last statement to me is powerful. I love that phrase, where is he? We've come to worship him. They didn't come to get something from God, but they came to offer something to God, their worship. The greatest thing they could ever give, they came to give to Jesus. They came to give themselves to him. They came to offer worship to him. We live in a day and time where I find it very interesting what Christianity has become. Christianity has become this weird formula where we believe that God exists for us instead of us existing for God. We, we think that if we do the right thing, we pray the right prayer, that God's got to do whatever we want him to do because he's God. We think God is some genie in the bottle. You know what I mean? We just rub the lamp and hoof. And, and, and what's happened is we've turned God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who has the hairs on our head numbered, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We've taken the majesty of God and we've turned him into basically some cosmic Coke machine. If you put your coin in, and you push the button, and you say the prayer, and you do your devotion, and you make sure you post about him on Facebook, and you do something nice for someone, and you don't flip off anyone in traffic, and you get an Action Church sticker, that God is going to answer your prayers. Because we live with the mindset that God exists to make our life better. And then we wonder why the faith of so many people is so weak and why they walk away from God when things go bad because we've taught them from the stage and we've taught them in the kids' area and we've taught them through all the books that God exists to make your life better so when you feel like your life's not better, you blame God. Instead of saying maybe God has a purpose in this, instead of looking in the mirror, instead of realizing that circumstances happen, it's always God's fault because God exists to make our life better. Man, if you follow God, everything is perfect. It's going to be like dancing and prancing through a field of wildflowers. There's going to be unicorn fart bubbles all around you. Life's just going to be cotton candy and chocolate syrup. And everything is going to be great. And we teach it. We teach over and over and over the number one best-selling books are out there. How to live this life and how to have that life and how to have your best life today. And if you do all these things, God makes everything wonderful. And your career will be wonderful. And your marriage will be wonderful. And your children will be wonderful. And your car will never break down and nothing will ever happen and then it all goes to crap 
And who else can we blame but God? Because we've been taught that God exists for us instead of us existing for God. God doesn't exist for us, we exist for him. We were created to glorify God, to worship God, to make him known, and to bring him honor. People ask me all the time, what is it that God wants from me? And here's what he wants. He wants everything. He wants all of you. And what we're willing to do is, is give God what we want to give him. I'll give God my time. I'll give God my Sunday mornings. I'll give God my marriage. I'll give God the... I'm not giving God my money. I'm not giving God my Friday nights. I, I'm not giving God my Sunday afternoons. That's, that's my time for football. And God says, I want all of you. I want every decision you make to be making, asking yourself, does this glorify God? Does my actions glorify God? Does my attitude glorify God? Does the way I go about this glorify God? Because everywhere we go, we're to be salt and we're to be light. The Bible says we're the salt of the earth. The Bible says we're the light of the world. But here's the deal. Salt's no good if it's not around things that don't need savoring. And light's no good if it's not around darkness. We're called to go out and be the examples. We're the only Jesus that so many people see. I tell people all the time there's two reasons people are not Christ followers. The first reason is this. They've never met a Christian, a true Christ follower. Or number two, they've met a Christian. And they see no different in that person. They see fakeness in that person and hypocrisy in that person. And the church has grown up where we have these unrealistic... I tell people all the time, you might not like me on Sunday... But you ain't going to get nothing different Monday through Saturday. I just don't do fake real well. So here's it. If you don't like me on Sunday, cool, you ain't going to like me the rest of the week. Or if you don't like me the rest of the week, you ain't going to like me on Sunday. But we live in this day and time where we have forgot why we exist. We exist to make Christ known. And we're, we make him known by giving everything that we are to him. Putting him first. When Christ is first in your life, everything seems to fall to peace. I didn't say it'd be perfect, but it just falls to peace. Have you ever had your life falling apart, or you've known someone in their life was falling apart, and they just had this peace that Pat, you just had this calmness about them and this peace about them because they know at the end of the day God's in control. That doesn't mean it's going to turn out the way they want it to turn out, but they just know they've put God first. So we wait till everything's falling apart in our marriage, then we put God first. We wait till our kids are off on a binger, and we put God first. We wait till we're about to lose the house, and we put God first. And God says, I want all of you. The Bible says this in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in show of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What's our true and proper worship? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. God, what is it you want from me I'm willing to do? Now, does that mean we can't have fun in life? We can't enjoy life? We can't go about and follow our dreams and our passions? Of course it doesn't mean those things. You can do all those things, but here's the deal. You'll see your dreams and your passions and the fun in your life change as God's first in your life. One of the greatest things that I can teach you is that worship and that's what God's saying. He's saying, I want your worship. The greatest thing I can teach you is that worship 
isn't just something that happens on Sundays. That's why I hate, I hate that we call this worship. It is a form of worship. And I'm going to talk about it here in a minute. It's an important part of worship. But if the only worship God's getting from you is on Sunday from 10 to 11, 15, 11, 30, 11, 45, ever how long we decide to go, then you're robbing God of worship. Here's the problem. So many of us come here not to worship. We come here to fulfill our duty. We come here to check it off our checklist. <laughs> Remember, God, I had you covered on Sunday. I did my duty. Now I need you to do this for me. God doesn't exist for you. <laughs> we were created to worship God from the depths of our heart. And there's different ways that we go about worshiping. And one of the ways that we do that is through corporate worship. Never underestimate the power of what happens here on a Sunday morning service. The buzz thing, every now, especially in America, where I saw stats this last week and it said 37% of Americans attend church on a regular basis. Yet 70-something percent identify themselves as Christians. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Nope. If church was required to be a Christian, that means it would mean our salvation and our relationship with God is dependent on our works. And there's nothing that we can do because coming to church is a work. It's a deed that we do. But don't miss this. You show me a Christ follower who doesn't regularly attend worship with other believers, and I'll show you a Christ follower who is weak in their walk with God. I will show it to you every time, anytime, all the time. It's like saying you're a football player, but you don't belong to a team. Man, you're not a football player then. You might have used to have been a football player. You might want to be a football player. That's like me saying, you know, I'm in a band. I'm a musician. What band are you in? I ain't in one right now. But yeah, if I was. You know, what makes you part of a band is to be in the band. What makes you part of the team is you're on the team. As Christ followers, we had this important thing. See, the Sunday, we had like Sunday's the last day of the week. It wraps up the week. No, Saturday's the last day of the week. Sunday's the first day of the week. That's why the weekend falls like it does. The, when the weekends and the workflow started, it started where you could work. Saturday's your day to unwind from work, to enjoy life, to have a great time. And then Sunday was your day to refocus and get your week started in the right way. There's power in worshiping together. There's power in meeting together. I just don't think it's as important. Well, God did because he said this in Hebrews 10. He said, not, we're not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but we're to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What day approaching? The end of the days, the end of the world, the, the, the end times. And here's the day. So say, when do you think the end times are? I don't know, but we're closer today than we were yesterday. And as the day approaches, we need this. As the world gets worse and worse, and the world waxes worse and worse, and society gets more and more far away from the things of God, how much more important it is that we gather together with people who believe like we believe? And look what it says we're to do it for. So we can encourage one another. People tell me all the time, they say, I just wish you went deeper on Sunday mornings. Here's the deal. I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I can go as deep as you want to go. Never mistake that 
Never mistake the fact that I keep the cookies on the bottom shelf that I can't go deep. But that's not the purpose of us gathering together. The purpose of us gathering together is to encourage one another. Life is crazy. Life is frustrating. Life is discouraging. There ought to be a time where we gather together and we encourage each other in this thing called life. We encourage each other in our walks with God because everybody around us beats us down and there's just something powerful about gathering together. I don't know about you and there's times that I take Sundays off but man, my week is all messed up when I take a Sunday off. There's something powerful about worshiping together. There's something powerful about when the band gets up here on the stage and they start playing and we join together in musical worship of our God. There's something powerful about it. So many of you miss out on the power of worship. You come and you hang out in the lobby and you hang out outside and you shoot the crap all morning and you miss out on one of the most powerful times of worship. Now, can we worship anywhere? Absolutely. Are we supposed to worship anywhere? Absolutely. Are we supposed to worship in every aspect of it? Absolutely. And I'm going to cover all of that here in a minute. But there's something powerful about doing it together. There's something powerful about joining together. The Bible says we're two or more together than his name. He is in the midst of them. And it's something powerful of God being in the midst of them. When I walk around and I see people lifting up their hands in worship, it's just something powerful about it. Now, here's the deal. I get it. If you didn't grow up around church or you're kind of new to church and you see people doing it, it's a little bit weird. I get it. It was a little bit weird to me. There's times it's still odd to me. It looks a little different. It's almost like watching someone make out. You know, you see them making out in public. You know you should turn away, but you don't. Like, there's times I'm like, man, they are getting their worship on. (laughs) But here's one thing you'll notice when people are worshiping. They've blocked out everybody else. And there's something real about it. I don't know that I've ever come in here and seen someone worshiping in whatever way they're worshiping. And be like, we're just being so fake right now. Now I walk in, I'm like, man, they have lost themselves in the moment. And you can see the power of them doing that. And and, and there's different ways people do this. And I think I've shared this with you before. I mean, there's, there's... Different types of hand raising. And there's times the Lord moves me and my hands are up. And it's during those times I leave here that I know that I've been filled and I've been able to lose myself. And just for a brief moment, I've forgotten that the bills are due, that my wife was nagging. Not that my wife would nag me. I'm just using that as an example. The wife is nagging. Or the kids are acting crazy. Or that life is insane. She would never nag. Ever. Perfect wife. I'm talking about y'all's wife. Not mine, Okay. It's all right to laugh. I know you are a little bit dead today. But, but there's just so many different types. And, and I like watching it because you can always tell where people are on their walk by how they worship. There's this person. You know, they're too cool at all. They just keep their hands in their pocket. You know? and, and that person, because they know they want to worship, they won't make eye contact with anybody. And, and then there's the, the TV lifter worshiper. You know, they, they worship like this, both hands up like they're carrying a TV. You know, it's just, you know... Uh, I like this one. I, I wrote this one down this week. The how big is my fish worship? You know, like, you know, there's just all, it's, it's awesome, and there's all kinds of worship. Man, the, the Jesus is number one worship. I kind of, that's kind of me sometimes. The Jesus is number one worship. Not, not this finger, the number one worship. You know what I mean? 
Oh, the high five worshiper. You know. I mean, there's all kinds of different worship. It's, it's just powerful. You know, the, uh, the beauty queen worshiper. The basketball blocker, you know. You know, well, Action Church, I, I've been in ministry 20-something years. I think I've shared this with you before. I've never seen this type of worshiper till Action Church. The Ronnie James Dio worshiper. Like, I, I've never seen a church that's just slinging up the rock and roll horns during worship. And at first, I was like, man, that's kind of weird, man. I'm like, man, they're just worshiping. They don't know, man, get after it, man. And they're just worshiping. I mean, there's just power in worship. But the Bible talks about it. People say, why do you do that? Because the Bible says this in Psalms about it. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My soul longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. There's times that we come in here and we are just like this. Man, we're just searching for God. You've been in that dry place. You've been in that parched place. There's no water. Because here's the deal. Life is tough. Life beats you up. Life throws curveballs at you. You feel like you're getting up from the right-hand punch and the left-hand punch comes along. You feel like you're staggering, get your feet back under you, and life comes along and gives you an uppercut. Life is crazy. And there's times that I come in here and I am parched and I am dry and I have nothing else to do. It's all I could do to drag myself in these doors. But I walk in these doors and we start to worship and the music goes in. And I know some of you, you, you see with the band, you don't realize, man, Phil spends time thinking about the songs and the music and what could be the perfect. And it's so many times, I know this is happening. You come and you're like, man, that song was just for me. There's powerful about it. I don't, I don't like the place I'm in right now. And I come in and just for a moment, in whatever way, the TV way, the fish way, the DO way, whatever, I can just worship, and I don't worry about what anyone else around me is doing. There's something powerful. I don't know if you ever been this way. They get done with the song, and you open your eyes, and you're like, holy smokes, there's all kinds of people around me. Because you just lost yourself in the moment for just a brief second. You got to escape reality and worship God. The holidays magnify this. The holidays, and they are just a magnifier. They magnify what's already going on in your life. If life is bad... It's magnified during the holidays. If life is good, it's magnified during the holidays. And, and, and David here in this Psalms, he's crying out to God. He's saying, I need you, God. From the depths of my soul, I worship you. He's saying, I long for you. I crave for you. There's something that there's a void in your life, and there's been times in your life that you know there's a void, and nothing can fill it but the spiritual. You've tried everything else to fill it. There's nothing on earth that is satisfying you. God, I'm longing for you. I'm craving for you. Look what the next verse says. I've seen you in the sanctuary, and behold, your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. He, he says, man, go back to verse 2, please, Xander. He said, I've seen you in the sanctuary. He goes, when I walked in there, and I saw other people worshiping you, and I was able to just escape the fact that I was parched, and I was able to escape the fact that I was right. And just for a brief moment in the sanctuary around other believers, I was able to get back to remembering that God is good, He's better than life, it's eternal, it's everlasting. 
God's love never fails. The life that we live Monday through Saturday, all the stress, the work, all these things, they fade away. But God's love never fails. And there's something powerful about coming together in corporate worship that helps us remember that. He says, because of who you are, my lips will praise you. He, he said, man, when I get in the house of God, I can't stop but remembering how good God is. And here's the problem with some of you. You've forgotten that how good God is. You've forgotten what your life was like before God. You've forgotten that he picked you up out of the miry clay and he set your feet on the rock. And here's one of the reasons you've forgotten. Because you have taken corporate worship. And it's something, if it can fit into your schedule, you fit it into your schedule. They say the average church attender, now this blew my mind. The average church attender now attends church once every six weeks. They say that if you take the average church attendance in a church... And you divide it in half. So for our church, you know, we have 200, 225 people on a Sunday. So you, you take half of those people are here every week, 125. The other 125 are new people every six weeks. So they say, take that, that half number, divide it by six, and that's how many people call your church home. That's why tomorrow night it will be packed out here because all everybody shows up on the same day. That's why Easter's packed out around here. Everyone shows up on the same day. It's why the Sunday after Easter is the lowest Sunday of the year. You know why? Because everybody who showed up on one Sunday together feels like they've done their duty for the first six weeks, and the next six weeks they're not here. How can we ever, if you worked out once every six weeks, you ain't going to be in great shape. If you ate once every six weeks. Hey, if in your marriage you had sex once every six weeks, some of you would be like, man, that would be a miracle. That's probably why your marriage ain't like it should be. But we think we can give God once every six weeks and wonder why our faith and our, I'm just going to sleep in today. I'm just going to chill today. And I get it, and there's nothing wrong with sleeping in. And there's no, listen, you're not going to hell because you miss church. I don't ever want to be that pastor that beats you. But I'm just telling you something. There's something powerful about getting up and starting your week with putting God first. Corporate worship is a power. He says, I will praise you, verse 4, as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. He's saying there's times I get, because back to what we started, there's times I get so moved that all I can do is lift up my hand. Now, remember, David's in a bad place where he's writing this. He, he's not thanking God right now because things are good. If you were to go back and study, he's in a horrible place. But he's praising God because even when things are bad... God's good. Let me repeat that because you seem a little dead today. He's saying that even though things are bad, God is still good. In verse 4, he says, God's so good that all I could do is lift up my hands in worship. I, I want to be careful because I hate to offend people and I hate to think people think I'm picking on them. It is what it is, though. And I'm not saying you're wrong, so please hear my heart in this. But let me just challenge you on something. Over the next two or three weeks, during the worship, the musical part of our worship, stand up. Stand up. I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong because you're sitting down. I, I, I want to be careful. 
just stand up. Don't worry about anybody else around you. Sing outward. I, I just feel awkward singing. Shut up. Just sing out. I don't sing loud because no one wants to hear me sing. Man, go through the, get off your phone. Hey, how about this? Quit Facebook living it. Sorry. If they didn't get to church, that's on them. I, and I'm not being mean. I'm not saying that you're wrong for Facebook. I like it because they get thousands of views and people see our church. I get all that. I'm just saying, for the next couple of weeks, lose yourself in the moment and worship God. Something Christine and I have been very intentional about. It's funny because we, we, we agreed to be intentional about this and then I complained about it. Um, we said, you know what? We're going to quit every time we, we, we're doing something in life, taking hundreds of pictures because we miss out on the event because we're so busy taking pictures to post. You know what I mean? And we said, we want to enjoy the moment. So we did that about three or four months. And I started, we're fighting one day. like, you ain't take pictures. I post them on Facebook about me anymore. You don't love me. <laughs> you know. And she's like, or I was enjoying the moments with you instead of pictures. You know what I mean? You know. We're so busy trying to record. And here's the deal. I mean, every once in a while I go back and look at pictures. But I think about memories all the time. We're so busy trying to record the moment that we miss the moment. Man, there's power in corporate worship. We need to remember the vision says this, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not for yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so you make a boast. There's just something power. We did nothing on our own to deserve what God did for us. So there's power in corporate worship. And again, I'm not beating you guys up. You're here. Those that are listening on the podcast, I am beating you up because you're not here. And there's times you can't make it, I understand that. Hey, not only do we need corporate worship, man, we, we need private worship. We need private worship. Bible says this, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Corporate worship, worshiping together is powerful. But let me tell you something else that's powerful. Private worship. Private worship. One of the greatest things you can do every day is start your day or have a set time in your day where it's just you and God. I didn't say put an hour back. I didn't say put two hours back. But take some time where you get in the Word and you pray and you have one-on-one time with God. Christine will tell you that as my private worship goes, so my life goes. She could tell you in two seconds whether or not I'm in private worship or I'm not in private worship. When I'm starting my days right and I'm in the book or I get home from working out and I take time to sit on the couch and get in the book and I pray. And again, I'm not talking about some long, crazy time. I'm just talking about a time of private worship. Just a small time of Bible reading. For me, every single day, here's what I do every day. I go to Proverbs and there's 31 Proverbs. 31 chapters in Proverbs. And I read whatever the day is. So today's the 23rd. I go read Proverbs 23. And then I've always got some other devotion going. Nothing huge. I, and, and for me, I, I don't ever pull this out. I, I do it on my phone. I get, I, I've told you this a hundred times. I get on version, Y-O-U version. Just type in Bible. It's the Bible app. It has thousands of devotions on there. I click on them. I'm always reading them. 
Man, there's just something powerful about turning worship music on. I got here today, and I was off a little bit. I don't know why. I could just tell I wasn't right. And, and then I remembered, man, I was trying to get ready for whatever reason this morning. My Pandora wasn't, it just would not work this morning. And so it was silence. Now, it's normally our Sunday morning is filled with worship music, and it's normally when our house is always, times will get crazy. Now, I told Chris, I said, turn that music off and turn on worship music. It's amazing that when you fill your house, and I don't like, really like worship music, and I don't really like Christian music that much. I'm just being honest with you today. And, and, but, man, when I flip it over and I get back focused on it, it just zeroes me in. There's power in private worship. Take time every day. You're driving down the road. Man, just turn on some worship music. I wonder how much more your day would be better if you sit in traffic for 45 minutes. If you walked to the office and there had been worship music on your radio, Instead of some kind of country music that's talking about your dog left and your girlfriend left and you got drunk all night and you're ready to slit your wrists. Or, hey, listen to the, the, to the, to the, to the I feel like the old preacher. Oh, the country music's evil and the rock and roll music's of the devil. That's not what I'm saying. But, man, when you start your day, instead of listening to whatever this crap is nowadays on the radio, like, my, like our kids will be singing stuff. I'm like, what did they just say? And then, like, I want to get on to them that, but the other day, I'm listening to bluegrass, bluegrass music. Does anybody here listen to bluegrass music? Does anybody here listen to the words of some of the bluegrass music? I'm listening to this bluegrass band the other day, talking about going into, I'm singing, I don't even realize what they're saying, and it's like, snorted a line of coke, and, blah, and I'm, I'm like, what did it, what? Like, bluegrass people are snorting coke and banging chicks now. It's like, how did that get into music? You know, it's crazy. Got to flip it over to the worship station. <laughs> like, it's insane. But I kind of dig it. But you can't listen to it all the time. Private worship. Hey, you know, another area is public worship. Now, public worship and corporate worship are different. Public worship is the opportunity we have the most. Public worship is everything that we do. Now, again, we see the word worship, and here's what we think. Oh, he's saying, i got to walk around my hand in the air and praising Jesus in the elevator. It's not that. You may, that's just a form of worship. Worship is everything we do. When you go to your job and you act in a godly manner and you act with integrity and honesty and hard work and dedication, that's public worship. When you're driving down the road and you're not acting like some crazy idiot honking and running people off the road and doing crazy stuff in your car... That's public worship. When you're at, oh, my man, Christine, I, 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 I don't even know what. Christine's mom comes in town today. Family comes in town. So the next week's going to be crazy. So we have all the kids next week. And so Friday, I said, you know what, honey? I want to spend time with you today. I said, I've wiped out my calendar. What do you want to do? She said, well, I got a lot of errands we got to run. And I got a lot of last minute. I said, Awesome. People are crazy. So it started with Sam's. Now, Sam's was about right here on the crazy scale with this being the limit. That's cool. I can deal with, I deal with y'all every week. I'm, I, can de- I can deal with crazy. We left there and went to Walmart. There's another level. Then we had to go to TJ Maxx on Highway 20. Off exit 19. I started having anxiety in the parking lot. 
like there's nowhere to park, and people are knocking you over. And I went to grab an ugly sweater because it's an ugly sweater. And literally someone grabbed the other end of the sweater. And I thought, are we about to throw down here over an ugly sweater? And he made eye contact with me, and I made eye contact with him. And he was short, so I don't know if I just seemed like I looked crazy at the moment. He let it, sorry. Listen to what I'm saying. He said, sorry. And I was ready to bash his skull in. For even putting his hands on the sweater that I grabbed. You freaking idiot, you saw it. It was insane. It was insane. And then we left there and went somewhere else. And I looked, I said, you got to get me home. I said, and I'm trying to be cool because it's my day winner, and I'm trying. I said, please, God, get me home. Please. Like, I wanted to get home to two dogs and four kids that are crazy because that was more calm to me than being out. Like, sweat was coming down my head. But what a great time to show public worship. Like, we got in line at TJ Maxx. And when I tell you there was 37 people in front of us, I counted. <laughs> then yesterday, we go to my mom, and I told you my mom's crazy, and they moved into a camper. So my child home, moved into a camper in Cleveland, Georgia. Cleveland, Georgia is a whole nother level. So my wife, because, man, she's so awesome and Christmassy. We had all the kids. She goes, we never have all the kids together. She goes, they said we're four miles from Helen. We should go eat in Helen today. <laughs> cool. I ain't been to Helen in 20 years. Awesome. Apparently, it's the last weekend that Helen's open for the year. Is it, like, it was crazy. Like, parking lots were overflowing. And, everyone, and, I, and I don't even get why they're there, because it looks like a German town. Like, all I saw was places selling jerky. There was like 17 places that sold jer beef jerky in Helen. I'm like, so you come to Helen to get beef jerky? I'm very confused by this. And we went in this restaurant, and it was so crowded, and there was people everywhere. And, like, I was getting these out. I knew we had to get home, and I'm starting to get tense, but I don't want to get tense, because, man, i got to remember public worship, and I want my wife to be cool. And, man, I don't want her upset with me. And mad at me. And then we get in there and she realized she forgot something in the car. And I was like, okay, I'll get it. I'll get it. And Luke wants to go with me. And I walk out in the street. It's a crosswalk. And this guy's honking the horn. I'm like, you freaking idiot, man. I have the cross. I have the right. And I was like, public worship. Preaching on it tomorrow. Sorry. Walk down the car. And literally as I'm walking, isn't it weird how certain songs pop in your head? I don't know why. Maybe it's because they did it last week. I can only imagine it just popped in my head. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can only imagine. Heaven won't be like this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. By the time I got back to Christianity, I didn't have to tell her about the story because I was calm. There's power in public worship. I wanted to reach through the car and pull the guy through the car and bash his head in the, in the concrete. I think that would have ruined my witness in my public worship and then would have ruined the day. I'm just saying, I don't know, maybe for you it wouldn't have. Man, it was exhausting. Man, but there's power in public worship. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 10. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. I wonder how much our decisions in life would change if before we did something, we asked ourselves, am I doing this for the glory of God? I wonder how it would change our life. But we're to worship Christ corporately, privately, privately, Publicly, again, 
you might be the only Jesus someone sees. I think I've shared this story with you before. I was at Walmart one time. It might have been 10 years ago. I can't remember how long it was. And I bought something, and I'm walking away. And as I'm walking away, I start to count the change that the person had given me. And they'd given me $50 more than they should have given me. So I turned back around. I said, hey, pardon me. You gave me $50 more than you're supposed to do. And they looked at me and said, man, thank you for returning that. I knew you were the pastor over such and such church, and I want to see if you'd be honest. Always watching. Always. You never know when someone sees you and they're associating it with Jesus. I can't worry about what they think. No, you can't. But if we're doing everything for the glory of God, those things don't become an issue. And and then last of all, last of all, and I I try to be a very honest pastor. I got to tell you, this is probably the area of worship that I drop the ball as the leader of my home. but, But it doesn't change what the Bible says about it. There's family worship. There's a reason when Paul teaches in Ephesians 5, 6, and Colossians 3, he names everybody in the household. See, it's a sad reality that so many times we manifest the nature of Christ in public and at work and at church, and we never manifest it at home. So then our kids grow up and they say, what a fake. What an ungodly example. What a hypocrite. We need to make sure that our home is exuding the things of Christ. That Christ comes first. I fail miserably at this. I, I, I don't know that I've, I've, I've figured out the balance between keeping it real and I don't want my kids to see some religious act and then wanting to see real Christian faith in action. But there's power in it. It centers your home around Christ. It encourages peace in your home. It binds your family together. It trains your your children in the power of corporate worship. They need to understand the power of praying and not going through the motions. They need to understand there's reasons every now and then we have worship music on the home. It's because we're trying to center our home back. They should see us reading the Word of God. We should be reading the Word of God with them. And again, I think it's just one of those things that we forget about in the craziness of life. And that's no excuse. Because, man, the next generation, our kids coming up, their walk with God is going to be reflected in what they see in us. And it's funny, as the older my kids get, the more they want to do with the things of God. Whose fault is that? That's my fault. That's not her fault. I'm the leader of the home. That might not be popular in 2018, but let me reiterate that. God said, I'm the leader of the home. That doesn't mean I'm the dictator of the home. Let me clarify that. I didn't say I was the ruler of the home. But God said to me, I'm the head of that home. And as I go, my house goes. And when it comes time during the holidays to put our focus back on Christ, man, there's power in corporate worship. And there's power in making sure our actions are publicly worshiping. And there's power in private worship. But I want to encourage you, and I'm going to try to do a better job of it too, maybe we can keep each other accountable, of making sure our home is centered around the things of God. Family worship is a powerful thing. Every aspect of our life should scream worship. And when it screams worship, we're offering ourselves to Christ. And when we're offering ourselves to Christ, 
Christ lifted up. And he says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men to him. So as we look out and we're trying to figure out why the world wants nothing to do with Christ, I wonder if it's, why, if it's, why, if it's because we as Christ followers aren't lifting him up. When we lift him up, people see something different. They're not, they, they don't need to see hypocrisy. They don't even need to see a, groups that have it all together. But they need to see people who are real and have a real authentic relationship with Christ. Reality is sometimes you and your wife are going to fight. Reality is sometimes you're going to want to beat your children in public. Reality is sometimes you're going to lose it at the stoplight. I didn't say all the time, sometimes. That's okay. But if we're living our life to glorify God, it's always going to glorify God even in our mistakes. Even in our mistakes. I saw this comparison this week. I thought this was powerful. And if you're not a big baseball fan, you're not going to remember this. But you remember when the steroid scandal hit in baseball? And there was two guys that got hit at the same time. Andy Pettit, who was a pitcher, and Roger Clemens. This is an amazing example. They said, there's two people, both got accused, both some of the best baseball players of their life, both get accused of steroids. One of them, Andy Pettit, says, yeah, I did that. I let the pressure get to me. I was making so much money. I needed to figure out how I could be the best to continue to make that money and extend my career, and I did it. And they said, it's amazing to watch the life of Andy Pettit now. People have forgiven him. People, he's back in baseball coaching and commentating and broadcasting. He lives a happy life. His family's amazing. He owned up to his mistakes. He said, I did do it. I'm sorry. Then they compared the life of Roger Clemens, who to this day has denied ever doing anything, got mad at people, sued people. And they talked about he's become a recluse. His family has left him. His children want nothing to do with him. Baseball wants nothing to do with him. He's angry and he's bitter and he blames everyone else. People aren't looking for perfection. You're going to mess up in your walk as a Christian. But they want to see you say, man, I messed up. I'm sorry. People love second chances. People love forgiving people. They want to see people fall and rise back up. When we, so we're going to screw up in our walk. It's okay. But when we're walking with Christ and we're worshiping him in every aspect, we own up to those mistakes. We're not perfect. We're just forgiven. This season, I just want to remind you to place worship first. When you show up tomorrow night, it's going to be a fun service. But you come ready to worship. You come ready to sing. You come ready to shake the hand of someone who's new in the building. You come ready to hug those that are family. You come with a sense of expectancy. And something will happen. It will kick your holiday season to a whole another level. I'm telling you, worship is powerful, but we got to get out of our head that this is only worship. This is only an aspect of worship.